It's true, we seek the Lord that we might know the satisfaction of our longing for his fellowship, and we find him. He meets us. He meets us by the ministry of his word and spirit. And so we turn now to the reading of his word. You can see in your bulletin that I'll be reading for us Isaiah 40. We're going to be focusing on the end of the chapter, beginning at verse 27. But this glorious chapter, I want to read it in full. Especially because those concluding verses where we're going to be training our attention, they are the wonderful climax and crescendo of this whole chapter. So listen now, Isaiah 40, beginning at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them to his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. 
Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ministry of Isaiah, the prophet. You spoke through him and you speak through his words today. Grant us ears to hear your voice, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two reasons why we're turning to this chapter, this passage here this morning. Two reasons. Each of them related to current events. The first reason is the Olympics are coming. And if it feels like we just had the Olympics, that's because we did. We had the 2020 Summer Olympics in 2021. Next month, it's going to be the Winter Olympics. It's going to be the 2022 Winter Olympics in 2022. Go figure. Right on time. And whenever the Olympics roll around, I think of my favorite scene in my favorite movie. Chariots of Fire. The Scotsman Eric Little is up in the pulpit on a Sunday. It's the Sunday when he will not run because he loves the Sabbath day more than he loves running. He loves the Lord of the Sabbath more than he loves running. And he gets up in the pulpit and he reads this passage. He says, my text this afternoon is taken from Isaiah. I remember years ago, Christy and I heard another Scotsman, another Eric, Eric Alexander, preach at a conference, and he directed us to open our Bibles to this book of the Bible, 
he invited us to open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah. He said, you will pronounce it Isaiah. And when you get to heaven, you shall know who was right. So Eric Little gets up in that pulpit in Paris. My text this afternoon is taken from Isaiah chapter 40. And he reads, and you see the eyes of the congregation looking up at him. It's a high pulpit. And he begins to read, Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket. And as he's reading, you're getting these scenes of these men who are running for their nations on the day when he will not. He keeps reading, The Lord giveth power to the faint. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. And as he's reading, you're getting these scenes of these men who are running, and they are reaching the end of what they've got to give. They are exhausting themselves for their nations. I always think of that passage. When the Olympics roll around, summer and winter both. So that's the first reason we're turning to Isaiah 40. We're gearing up for the Olympic Games next month. The second reason, and this one also is related to current events, is that we're exhausted. Here at the dawn of a new year, at the beginning of 2022, covid is a wearisome business, isn't it? We're entering our third calendar year with this, unless you were really paying attention and reading international headlines at the end of 2019, in which case for you it's your fourth. COVID is a wearisome business indeed. And it seems to me that it's one of those situations in which it's counterintuitive, perhaps surprising, that you feel tired. And I say that because thanks to COVID, there have been all of these things that we have not been able to do. Hasn't been quite so bad lately compared to the way it was at the beginning, but still there have, these, there have been these things that have been canceled, things that have been postponed, things that have been moved online. If anything, you might think, why do I feel tired? I've been doing less. But then you remember, it's not just doing things and going places that can wear you out. It's also stress and anxiety and uncertainty and fear. Those things can, can wear you out and wear you down as much as anything. It's like when you go on a long car ride. And when you reach your destination, you think, why am I so tired? I've been sitting for 15 hours. Well, the answer is you feel tired because you're not meant to sit for 15 hours. There's something exhausting about finding yourself forced into a posture that you're not meant to hold and sustain for such a long period of time, even if it's a posture that feels like being still and sedentary. That's just it. You're not meant to be still for such a long period of time. Well, COVID's been a little bit like that. Stress and anxiety and uncertainty and fear, and we're entering our third calendar year with it, and that's worn us out because we're not good at this. 
We're not used to this. To being still in certain ways. And stressed. For so long. It wasn't all that long ago that we were hearing the strains of that song, O Holy Night. The song says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And have we ever felt that? Quite so much as we do now. We want to say, yeah, we're weary, all right. (laughs) The whole world is weary. And that's why you go to Isaiah 40. Or if you prefer, Isaiah chapter 40. Because here, in this chapter, is our God. It says, behold your God. And what it shows us is that our God is inexhaustible. He doesn't wear out. He doesn't run out. And not only that, but by his grace, and this is where it really hits home, by his grace he grants us strength to keep going so that we don't wear out either. And not just to keep going, but actually, marvelously, surprisingly, to rise up and run. We need this. Isaiah 40. Weary souls in a weary world, we need this if we're going to be thrilled with that hope and rejoice the way we should. So we turn to this chapter. Surely this is one of the great chapters. In the whole of the Bible, stirring, dramatic, humbling, exalting Isaiah 40 is all of that and more. We are going to focus on the last few verses of this chapter, 27 through 31. And let me tell you right now, we're going to take two weeks with it. But to set the stage, just a little bit of background here. What about this Isaiah, this man who served as a prophet? When did he serve as a prophet? Well, Isaiah served as a spokesman for God in the mid to late 700s into the early 600s B.C. So, mid to late 700s, early 600s B.C. And what was going on in Bible history in that window of time, in that era? Well, it was during the course of Isaiah's ministry that the northern kingdom of the people of God, the kingdom of Israel, was effectively destroyed by the Assyrians. And God brought that about because of the corruption and idolatry that had taken root among them. And then it was also during Isaiah's ministry that the southern kingdom of the people of God, the kingdom of Judah, they were put on notice by Isaiah himself that the same kind of thing was in store for them. Generations later. Why? Because a similar kind of idolatry and corruption had taken root among them. So that's what was going on. Not just at this point in history, but in Isaiah's ministry, which was vital in this moment. So here this chapter, chapter 40, begins, Comfort, comfort my people. 
Well, that's just it. At this point in Bible history, that's exactly what God's people needed. They needed to be comforted. Because Isaiah himself was the bearer of an uncomfortable message. Especially the message of what was in store for Judah in time to come. And yet, wonderfully, it was Isaiah, the same prophet, who got to bring the comfort as well. Isaiah charged to speak words of consolation and hopeful expectation to God's people. And some of those words are right here in this very chapter. If you take a step back and look at the chapter as a whole, how does it unfold? It begins with the forgiveness of sin. In verses 1 and 2, the forgiveness of sin. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. After that, it's the glory to come. In verses 3 through 5, the glory to come. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together. After that, it's the trustworthiness of the promise. In verses 6 through 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. After that, it's more glory. The glory to come, verses 9 through 11. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. And then after that, well, it's really the rest of the chapter, big section, which is the greatness of God, verses 12 down through 31. So it's quite a chapter, Isaiah 40. Forgiveness, glory, trustworthiness, glory again, the greatness of God again. So here we're training our attention on the last few verses, 27 through 31. And and I, I realize it seems at first glance to be positively criminal to skip right to the very end of this chapter. Aren't we skipping over some of the most glorious language in this chapter. Well, here's my defense. If you stop and think about the verses at the end that we're focusing on, 27 through 31, what you realize is that so much of what's affirmed in verses 1 through 26 is captured, is reflected, is summed up at the very end, which means that you can use the final passage as as, as an organizing structure for everything that's led up to it. So that you, you, can, you can study these last few verses in the chapter by glancing back again and again at what you read on your way there. And we're going to be doing that this morning, f- focusing on these last verses, but reminding ourselves of what led up to it. So, verses 27 through 31, and what I want you to notice about these verses is they sum up the two great themes of this whole chapter, and I'll put it this way, the greatness of God and the grace of God. The greatness of God and the grace of God. Put another way, what you find in these final verses is the God of the gospel, but also the gospel of God. The God of the gospel and the gospel of God. And the plan is, as I say, to take two weeks to cover those two themes in turn. This week, the greatness of God, the God of the gospel. And then, Lord willing, two weeks from now, we're going to have a guest speaker next Sunday. Two weeks from now, 
We'll take up the second of those two themes in the same passage. The grace of God, the gospel of God. So that's the plan. Behold your God this morning. The God of the gospel. Isaiah knew that the people of Israel needed to behold their God, in part because of a tendency to lose sight of their God, to lose sight of just how great he is. And of course, once Israel lost sight of the greatness of their God, they'd begin to fear that in some way God had lost sight of them. So look at verse 27. This is how our passage begins. And and this is what Isaiah challenges them on. He says, why do you say? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. So so there's some fear, there's some discouragement that God has lost sight of them. And what they're going through and what they're up against. And they're discouraged like that because they've lost sight of him and what he's like. So verse 28, he says, have you not known Have you not heard? That alerts us to the fact that what's going to follow are truths that they ought to know. Truths that they have heard before. Have you not known? Have you not heard? So he's going to remind them of what they've known before, what they've heard before. He's going to remind them of the greatness of their God. And there are four things especially about God that I want to highlight from these verses. The first of them is, he's everlasting, right? He's everlasting. Verse 28, Isaiah says, the Lord is the everlasting God. He is everlasting without leaving, without changing, without fading. He stands forever. And because he does, well, then his word does as well. And didn't we hear that earlier in the chapter leading up to this? Didn't we hear that in verse 8? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. His word abides because he does. His word is everlasting because he is. God is the everlasting God. And that truth stands out all the more clearly when you consider the contrast. God is everlasting. We are not. We are not. And that too, that came out earlier in the chapter, didn't it? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. So it's not just things around us that wither and fade. Look in a mirror. Take it personally. We wither and fade. We people, all people including those who appear to be the loftiest, the mightiest, the people who seem to be so established, so rooted, so powerful. They are no exceptions to this rule. That comes out back in verse 23. God brings princes to nothing, makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. I mean, just think about the great leaders of the past. Strong and mighty and powerful and authoritative. What do they have in common? What they have in common is that they were the leaders of the past. And not of the present. Because they're gone. 
We are not everlasting. Now, of course, it's true. Every human being will exist forever. There is an unending existence for every human being beyond this life. That's true. But the point that's being made here is about this life, earthly life. And the point that's being made is simply that we do not last forever in this life. We're here today, gone tomorrow. And candidly, we might be gone before we reach tomorrow. Before today is done, we are not everlasting, but the Lord is. So that's the first of the four. He's everlasting. Here's the second. He's creator. He is creator. Look again at verse 28. Says it. Plain as day. Verse 28. The Lord is the creator of the ends of the earth. And of course the idea is that he didn't just make the ends. He made the middle as well. He made all things all the way to the outermost reaches. Down to the deepest depths. Up to the loftiest heights. This is one of the great themes in this great chapter. That the Lord is the creator of the ends of the earth. And again, you have these rhetorical questions. Isaiah challenging Israel. Have you forgotten this? He he, he keeps asking them, interrogating them, grilling them. Look back at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span. Or down at verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Or again, a few verses later, verse 25. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. So it's not just... That God as creator is a running theme in the chapter. It's that Isaiah and the Lord through Isaiah is grilling the people. it's, It's confrontational in the most loving and gracious way. Do you not know this? Do you not hear this? God made everything to the ends of the earth. God is the creator. That's the second. Here's the third. The first was he's everlasting. The second was he's creator. The third is he is mighty. Indeed, he is almighty. Look at verse 28 again. He does not faint or grow weary. He does not faint or grow weary. His strength does not wane. The Lord is mighty. Mighty to conquer, mighty to save. And this too was a theme earlier on in the chapter. Look at verse 10, where it says this, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. And then, I love this, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, carry them in his bosom, Gently lead those that are with young. That is so beautiful. He's mighty. He's almighty. And yet in his almighty arms, 
he can tenderly carry his lambs, gently lead his sheep. In other words, his strength isn't brute force, unbridled power, out of control. It isn't the blind, fearful, purposeless power of a tornado. And didn't we get a glimpse of that not too long ago? Kentucky and Illinois and elsewhere. The blind, fearful, purposeless power of a tornado that comes all of a sudden. And you don't know exactly where it's going or what it's going to do. All you know is that it's impersonal, dreadful wind. God isn't like that. His might is exercised in mercy as well as in wrath. His strength doesn't wane. Almighty. And he holds lambs in his arms. And again, we appreciate this because of the contrast. The contrast between God and ourselves. He does not faint or grow weary. But we do. Now as I was saying at the outset, aren't we feeling that lately? Verse 30, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. It's not just when you get old and wear out, it's even young men and women. But God never does, he never will. He is almighty and everlastingly so. So he's everlasting, he's the creator, he's mighty, and then here's the fourth, here's the last. He's wise. He's unsearchable wisdom. Look at verse 28 again. It says, his understanding is unsearchable. Unsearchable does not mean utterly inscrutable. The point is not that God does not make any sense at all. No, God is knowable. But the point is, though we can know him truly, we cannot know him exhaustively, comprehensively, as finite creatures of the dust. We finite creatures can't take the measure of his infinite wisdom. We certainly didn't give him wisdom. That's what it's getting at back in verse 13 where it says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? What man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him? The answer is no one did. He just is the all-wise God. So our theme today is the greatness of God, the God of the gospel. Behold your God. And those are the four points. Everlasting, creator, might, and wisdom. And if Isaiah could say to the people in his day, behold your God. If he could call them to open the eyes of faith and see it, how much more clearly can we see it today because we see Jesus Christ. And sure enough, all four of the truths that we just canvassed at the end of Isaiah, they shine all the more brightly and brilliantly in Jesus our Savior.
So, for example, the fact that God is everlasting. In the generations after Isaiah, the Lord didn't disappear, didn't vanish from the scene, didn't give up. And we know that because he finally sent his son. And now what the Bible says about the son is that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the first of our four points, the everlastingness of God on display like never before in the Son of God. So too, our second point, God is creator. Well, the Son that he sent into the world turns out that everything was made by him and through him. The Son is creator. And then our third and fourth points, we'll we'll pair these together. The might of God and the wisdom of God. Both of those, the might of God and the wisdom of God, were on display in the most unlikeliest of places. And that place was the hill where he died on a cross. Believe it or not, the might and the wisdom of God were on display There and then. That's why I took us to 1 Corinthians earlier in our service. Where Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. At the cross of all places. Believers in Jesus, behold your God, everlasting, creator, almighty, all wise. And you see it so clearly when you fix your eyes on the one who is your Savior, even Jesus Christ. Now, how can we take all of this that we've seen today and bring it to bear upon our lives? What difference should these things make in our lives today? First of all, this, here is a summons to humility. Here is a summons to humility, to be sure. If God is this great, what does that say about us standing before him, compared with him? What are we compared with God? Just as Eric Little said, From that pulpit in Paris, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Now, no question, that's strong language. That is very humbling language. We might even wonder, is that really the way he looks at us? Is it really the case that we don't mean anything to God at all. After all, aren't we his children in Christ? Doesn't he regard us as the apple of his eye with fatherly love? Well, yes, that's true. If we're going to understand this language about the nations being nothing and less than nothing, we, we need to make a very important distinction here between the nations as compared with God and his chosen ones as loved by God. That is a very big difference and a key distinction. Yes, his chosen ones are the objects of his love. We are the objects 
of his fatherly love and care. And yet the very reason that's such a marvel is that when it comes to ourselves as creatures compared with the Creator, we are nothing less than nothing. That's our creaturely place. And Isaiah 40 is reminding us of that and putting us in our place. Behold your God. Behold the nations in in the light of God. So yeah, the human race is impressive. And we can acknowledge that. The human race is impressive in terms of its numbers. The world population is in the billions. 7.917 billion. When I checked this morning. And then I had to close the webpage. It was starting to stress me out. Because the number just kept going up and up and up. And I thought, great, more traffic in Fairfax. The human race is impressive in terms of numbers. The human race is impressive in terms of achievements. We've come a long way. In a lot of ways, we can build impressive buildings. We can perform surgical procedures. We can compose musical pieces. We can develop technologies. We can develop vaccines and treatments. But then what happens? Well, we get all caught up in our own impressiveness, just like Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible King Nebuchadnezzar, we climb to the rooftop and we look down on our achievements and we're so impressed with our numbers and our achievements because we've forgotten that there's one who's looking down on us. And we're grasshoppers to him, less than nothing compared to him. Stop and think about what you think is the greatest thing you've ever accomplished. Maybe not a gold medal in the Olympics. But something at school or at work, some courageous step you took, some challenge you faced down, your greatest accomplishment, now take it and bring it into the light of God, in the light of Isaiah 40, and just see what it looks like, how small it looks. That doesn't mean that it's worthless, it's not, but next to God, it does look awfully small. Because it is. We are. So should we be humbled. That's the first point of application. The second is worship. Because worshiping God is where humility before God is meant to lead. Worship. God is too great, far too great, everlasting, creator. Almighty, all-wise, he is far too great for you to be coming here on Sunday morning wishing you were somewhere else. Envying your neighbors who get to sleep in on Sunday. Your God would have to be awfully small and fleeting and frail and foolish for you to treat him like that. God is too great, far too great. For you to be worshiping anything else, anyone else, giving your ultimate devotion to anything or anyone else besides him. The more you realize just how great he is in all of the ways that we've noted today and more. That's when you realize just how foolish we would be to give our devotion to anything or anyone else. Think great thoughts of God. And by his grace, you will worship God and worship God alone. 
Take this personally as well. I was saying before, you can bring into the light of God your greatest accomplishment. Well, now I say bring into the light of God what you would confess to be your most alluring idol. Stop and think about what it is or who it is in your life that tends to consume your energies, your time, your attention in such a way as to distract you from God and do the same thing. Take it now into the light of God. And see it exposed for what it really is. See how small and vain and empty it really is. Again, not worthless. This thing or this person that you're drawn to in this way, but next to God, awfully small. Take that Isaiah 40 test. And then cast those idols aside. As Isaiah says in this very chapter, they're just gold, they're made of wood, they're just earthly things. Even people, creatures of the dust, bring them into the light of God. And then set these idols aside and worship God alone. So, humility was the first, worship was the second, and here's the last which is come back. Come back in two weeks. Now, come back next week as well. But come back in two weeks when we'll come back to this. This morning, we have beheld our God. Lord willing, in two weeks, we will behold what it is that this great God has done in us and for us. This morning, it's been the God of the gospel. Lord willing, two weeks from now, it'll be the gospel of God. His grace at work. Make it a New Year's resolution here in 2022 that you're going to keep worshiping. Including next week. And two weeks from now. And every Sunday you've got breath. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, we worship you. We humble ourselves and we worship you right now. We call you everlasting. We call you creator. We confess that you are almighty. We confess that you are all wise. And we confess Christ. For in him, with the eyes of faith, more gloriously than ever before, we see all of these things and more. And we bless your name. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.